0: Well, hi there, and welcome to my podcast, where I invite you to run with me after memories and shape them into stories. On this show, I'll also share samples of my writing and interesting moments from everyday life. I'm your host, Ruru Sig, and today you're listening to my first podcast, The Story Chaser. Welcome back, loyal listeners. Uh, Before we get started tonight, as you know, I always share a tip or a trick or a bit of advice. And tonight's tip is this. When you are using a lemon in your kitchen for cooking and whatnot, take the peel and toss it into your sink. So it kind of like lands around the drain. And when water hits it, it releases this really nice, fresh citrus smell for your kitchen. It's kind of fun and delightful. And now I'm going to go right into the episode, which is episode 10 of The Story Chaser. And tonight um, I'm talking about my dad because of a couple of reasons. Father's Day is right around the corner. And because I've kind of highlighted him here and there in different essays. And I thought now is the time to introduce him as a whole to my listeners at an entire piece just for him. So how I'm going to do this tonight is a um, collection of bits from an essay that I wrote entitled My Retired Childhood. And I'm going to do it in a list fashion, listing the things that he believed in. And I can only hope to honor the greatest story chaser I ever knew, my dad. He believed storytelling was an art because memories were too precious to mishandle. And if he started with only a few listeners, his charisma had him wrapping up a tale with an entire party around him every time. His talents were a comet, an unbelievable stream of strength and color. He was someone special, all right. He believed in our family and was the type of father who not only recognized each of our capabilities, but never let us fall short on them. He lived this by example. Marge, there's an elephant dancing on my chest. My father said, waking my mother. They sat up for a little while, nursing what they believed to be indigestion, but his symptoms escalated to a terrifying degree, with pains shooting down his arm his labored breath, dramatic and sharp inhales and exhales. And instead of dialing for emergency services, they got dressed and my father drove them both to the hospital. It was there that he learned that what he was describing was actually a massive heart attack and it had destroyed 75% of his heart. It was late spring in 1984 and he was 50 years old. Three packs of cigarettes, 25 cups of coffee, 12 children, four grandchildren at that time, and a self-operation of one of the largest independent produce delivery routes in Chicago would be the intense rhythm leading up to that night. His heart said, I can't possibly keep up with your plans here. Later, after his open-heart surgery, the cardiologist asked him if he smoked, and he answered, no, My mother, perplexed by this outright lie, looked at him while grabbing his hands with a disapproving pat and said, Sam, honestly, come on. The doctor, unsure of his place in this awkward moment, asked a follow-up question. Okay, well, when did you quit then, Sam? And my father answered him, today. My understanding of what happened, much like my clothes, would be handed down to me from other people. Some pieces I put together myself just by listening to their conversations while pretending to play with a doll. I believe the term is eavesdropping. I would be left to wonder so much more, though. Like, what was it like for my father in that hospital room? That would be the first time in years he was alone with his thoughts. Did he turn to the left, looking for my mother? Instead, met with screens and machines telling the story of his body through beeps, lines, and dots? Would he think of the scowling restaurant owners who dissected his produce, holding him responsible for any bruised fruit, as if he went 12 rounds with a tomato in the alley before delivering it? Did he think back on his own childhood, being a young boy in the city, playing cards and walking the streets with his pails? Did he smile proudly that he was able to buy a small fishing shack cottage as just an 18 year old boy? Is that the place he made the decision to ask my mother to marry him? Did he warmly remember the Marion Year date that him and my mother went on in 1954, where they joined a quarter of a million other people in Soldier's Field here in Chicago to honor Mother Mary? A couple of kids sitting on a blanket, joking. Wouldn't it be funny if someday we had a dozen children? And yet married each other and went on to do just that. Did he think of his own, us 12, his children, one by one? Would all the people he touched spiritually and with life advice pan over his thoughts like pieces of a puzzle? The salesman hungry for guidance that hung on his every words when he led seminars? Did he realize how wise he really was? and feel how many people were worried for him and loved him. Did he ever wonder if he'd be able to tell another story without a cigarette in his hand? Would he ever know he was one of my heroes? Did he beg God for his life that night? Our family dynamic would forever change with that elephant dance rumbling on my fa- father's chest. Shaking him from a sound sleep and his recovery from such would be the catalyst for my retired childhood. As part of his recovery, he was forced to quit working full-time and placed into the role as a stay-at-home dad for the remaining nine years of his life. My mom went to work full-time. He believed in moving forward. As a young child, if you asked me how I spent my days, I probably would have responded, surrounded by imbeciles. It wasn't the way I felt about the world, rather a learned perspective from my dad. Because the sudden halt from being a hard worker to his new life was a rough transition, the family decided he should invest in a string of vending machines. It was a way to keep him busy and feel like he could still fill that void that was once work. Plus, with the vending machine route, he would stop cluttering our house with puzzles, which was a new obsession he took on to cope with not smoking. He was doing a puzzle like every two days. And then he would glue these puzzles to poster boards and insist on giving them to my older siblings. So in the summer, I accompanied him on our candy route. The days began with my head resting upon the bathroom door, watching his routine. His boxer shorts were pulled up above his belly button and his nylon socks grasped to his calves. After taking a row of medication and placing the bottles back in the medicine cabinet in a perfect line, he would wet his comb. While looking in the mirror above the sink, he counted one, two, three, slicking back his jet black hair one through 50 every day. The guy had such a great head of hair. Now I've seen scars on people in my life, and majority of them have me asking, Hey, how'd you get that? Then I listen to their interesting story that follows. My dad had a scar, too. I saw it every day. It was a flesh zipper, pinching him close, extending from his belly button to the bottom of his neck, and it told the story of his open-heart surgery. As years went by, it eventually became a white line, but its symbolism never faded for me. He survived a horrendous ordeal for one more shot at life. He did that for mom and for the 12 of us. And he was the strongest person I ever knew. We would get into the car, and he would immediately put on 7.20 a.m., which was talk radio or the baseball game for that day. Mom says I have to put on my seatbelt because it's the law, I bravely said to him once. Ah, that's all nonsense, seatbelts go on he replied straight from the babe's mouth of a generation who lopped up in old jalopies and went joy riding around town unaware of how dangerous their lifestyle really was i clicked mine into the square buckle and off we went we would shop for our products to load the machines at a local wholesale store we bought bulk of chocolate bars and potato chips The story was easy enough to navigate, but checking out with a cashier was always a hassle as we seemed to be behind some person who would struggle with the terms of their membership and hold up the line, arguing over a misquoted price of their items. When we finally returned to our car, placing our stuff in the trunk, and got in, my dad would turn the key, blast the air conditioning, look over his shoulder to back our car out, and say, in his quintessential high-pitched nasally tone, what a bunch of imbeciles that was always the first one of the day we rode along with our scheduled stops listed in the notebook log he kept i was a perfect co-pilot for someone like my dad because i was very quiet i always had the ability to get completely lost in my own imagination i didn't bother him with excessive questions or speak really at all it was like we were alone together His talk radio station was white noise for me until I was occasionally jarred from my meditative state by him. Holy mackerel! Can you believe this horse's ass? With his hand extended out in disbelief. I wasn't even sure if he was asking me or hoping for validation for me. I hadn't experienced driving with the public yet. I couldn't even see over the dashboard, let alone have any idea what it felt like to be frustrated by other drivers on the road. I would just let out a and <laughs> an agreeable, that's unbelievable dad, while shaking my head. I just agreed to feel like I was part of it. I agreed because it didn't seem right not to. I agreed because he was my dad, and the other person just had to be wrong. Unfortunately, sometimes mice got into those machines, and they bit away at the chocolate bars. The owners of the small shops would present Dad with a cardboard box containing treats with tiny bite marks, returned by their customers. Dad would have to refund the money paid for those already eaten treats, and that irritated him. While inspecting the candy bars deemed useless, he murmured to the mice, Little asses. The mice, most likely hiding deep within the walls, wearing chocolate mustaches, wouldn't feel the sting of the insult. Okay, he would say, putting the mishaps behind us. Let's go have a little lunch. We would choose a different restaurant every day, but the welcome was always the same at each one. Hey, it's Sam. Come on in, friend, the owners would say. They would take the time away from their establishment to join us at the table. Often, they used the time seeking advice from dad. The man who used to bring them boxes of produce was now generously bestowing his words of wisdom on business, how to deal with customers and how to drive them through the door. Conversations he didn't have time for when he himself was a working man. It's funny how life goes like that sometimes. From across the booth i had the privilege of watching this many times and it was sort of like lending him out to father others for a little while we took long walks in the late afternoon dad loved his walks we couldn't get through the neighborhood without surrounding neighbors pausing from their yard work to holler hey sam or approach the edge of their sidewalk to chat with him he was loved everywhere He believed in recognizing hard work. Catch him! Don't let him go, he would say. I would race to the door hearing the mail slot bang shut. My dad rushed behind me through the living room with a freshly cut bowl of fruit in his hands and a dish towel draped over his shoulder. He would stop our mail mail carrier mid-route and insist he enjoy afternoon fruit to replenish his energy. His giving nature was always appreciated by the people in his new life, outside the grind of a produce route. He believed in God. There were many sleepless nights for him, shortness of breath and perhaps reflection on what he really went through. Either way, a stream of moonlight would shine his moving lips and humble tilt of his head downward as rosary beads dangled to the next decade. If he couldn't sleep, at least he could pray. And that was how he used the 25% of his remaining beating heart. He was a big someone for everyone. So the essay as a whole is much longer. But I wanted to sum it up to give you guys an idea of this tremendous person who not only overcame that heart attack, overcame obstacles that got in his way a lot. And he did it with this rough grace. um, And it was beautiful. He's missed greatly. And his stories of his own life, we share, but our versions of him we've passed down to the grandchildren in this family, the great grandchildren. The legacy does continue to live on because it was just too bright for us to ever let go of dim. Well, this is as good a place as any to end this episode. My name is Ruru Sig, and I thank you for listening to The Story Chaser. Remember, There are stories everywhere. The key is to focus in on the little memories to find the bigger moments. My promise to you is that I'll keep chasing those stories. Be well, folks, and go ahead, have a wonderful life.